Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Good evening, everyone. It is a beautiful fall day out there, but a bit tad windy down here in Brooklyn. I actually had to close my windows to keep the wind from interfering with anything, like blowing down the blinds and possibly getting picked up on the mic, stuff like that. But still, sunny, gorgeous, loving it. I feel good. We needed this after all the heat we had. I don't know about the rest of you, where you are, but the week before this here in the city, it was god-awful. I think it's funny fall. I think we should enjoy that. Anyway, not to get too sidetracked because I've decided that it'd be kind of fun to, at least with this season of, you know, D&D talk, since most of it's about the experiences I have playing, to go just completely unscripted. So, we'll, we'll say one track mind for the most part. But tangents will come up. Yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll work with it. We'll work with it. Anyway, I had a pretty interesting, not dilemma, but interesting encounter, we'll call it encounter, this weekend, this past Friday. So, I still got the one D&D game that I'm running, excuse me, with three of my good friends. But then one of them, one of my friends, decided to create his own campaign. He's never DM'd before, so I was, you know, encouraging him and supporting him. Stuff like that. I'm like, you know, you know, here are some tricks, here are some tips, do this, do that, yada, 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 to get, help him get started. And he was going to run this campaign with some of his friends. But then all but one of them were complete assholes and just kind of disappeared. And they just started the campaign. So I was talking to him about it. He's like, yeah, I'm thinking, like, you know, maybe we could run it. And now, you know, I'm now a player, which I'm incredibly happy about because it's been so long since I've been able to do that. Uh, my other two friends who are in my d d campaign are playing with me. And then his single friend from the previous group that stuck with him has now joined us. So it's, you know, the four of us and then my good friend Sanchez DMing this whole thing. And goddamn, I should have expected this kind of stupidity that we'd run into. Still, though, it surprised me. So what I want to look at today, oh, there's so many things I can unpack about this. I think the thing I want to focus on is just personal experience right now, uh, where that transition to being a GM and how that can transition to being a player, specifically in terms of being the fighter class. So 5th edition D&D and... Most role-playing games in general that involve combat classes and things like that kind of get the idea of what the fighter class is. You are the meatbag. You are the one that's either main tanking and just staying there taking all the damage, or you're just a DPS-focused guy that says, I punch this, it dies, I move on. I punch this, it dies, I move on, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that can be very enjoyable, yet it can also be very bland and I think it's definitely in charge of the GM and the player to try and add a little bit of depth to how the character plays out in game to give it you know a more enjoyable experience for both sides with this fighter class so here's here's what happened it's his first time GMing I'm having fun no matter what because I finally get to play a character and not be the GM. It's been a very long time since I've done that. So I'm enjoying myself regardless. And it's his first time GMing. It's the first dungeon he's ever made. We're running through it currently. We're still in the middle of it because we started a little late. And it was the first session, so we had to go through meeting each other and then going into the dungeon. So we didn't get through the whole entire dungeon. More on that later. 
So we're going through this dungeon. We're fighting a bunch of different, like, mushroom people and, you know, plant spirits and stuff like that. You know, it's an evil forest. It's an evil forest. Now, the other three people in my party were all ranged focused, by the way. I decided not to go with a tank fighter. I'm a ranged fighter. More on that later. So I have a crossbow. And then the rest of the party, we have a ranger focused with a bow because he's an elf. We have this... This is a game where we're being very imaginative. So we have a warlock, but he found, a warlock player found extra material, you know, like homebrewed stuff, to make a pack with a celestial being. So instead of it being, you know, this evil demonic warlock, he made a pack with a celestial being. The reason why he did that is solely so he can have this uh, celestial fire spell, and he is a cook. His entire character, they actually modified one of his abilities for healing, that it's he actually cooks food, and they got this idea from another homebrewed class, a chef class that was homebrewed. So we have this wacky ranged warlock guy who's also a chef. Just It's wonky. And then we have a sorcerer. We have a halfling sorcerer, and we all know sorcerers. They just stay in the back, and just things erupt from them. So we're all focused on range. So when we get into melee combat, it's very interesting. We always, we've been trying to set ourselves up that we get the jump on the enemy or we at least keep some distance so we have some chances to move around. And as soon as they come in close, I kind of just stand there like, I have a sword on hand, so I, you know, I can still fight melee. But being the fighter with second wind and shit, I have the best chance to stand my ground, so I'll stay there. Now, that's the thing. In combat, since the other three have, you know, the ranger has some access to spells... And the other two being spell-focused classes. Obviously, they have cantrips and first-level spells and stuff like that. Those three have some options and some utility in combat. Like, the ranger has uh, Fog Cloud as a first-level spell, which he used at the very beginning to kind of help blind this... What was it called? A Sparinger or something like that? If you ever played Skyrim and you find those, like, weird plant spirits in, the, in ruins that, you know, they look like trees and stuff like that, you know, it was one of those things... He decided to cast Fog Cloud on it to keep it kind of blinded from where we are. And then my perception was so high, I was able to shoot at it clearly in the fog without it seeing me. So I was able to get some damage on it before, you know, it reached us. So again, some spell utility there. And then the Warlock and the Sorcerer, obviously, with their cantrips. You know, it's like, okay, what spell is going to work best now? Am I going to use Frostbite to slow them down? Am I going to use this to make it easier to hit them in the future? Or since it's a Mushroom guy, am I going to cast my fire uh, my fire spell to do extra damage, or should I use Burning Hands and try and cluster them to do extra damage? So they have all these questions going through their heads. Me, being a fighter, I'm just standing there like, I'm going to shoot that guy. Like, that's that's my combat. It's point me to the biggest thing. I'm going to shoot it. And then when they get closer, I'll just kind of stay here so they start to corral around me to, again, give the Warlock a chance to use Burning Hands. Beyond that, what's, you know, what can I do? Now, as a low-level fighter, that's the challenge, just... Fighters not having access to spells, and we're only level two, we're not third level yet, so I don't have my archetype yet, so I, I lose some utility. Now, when we get archetypes, there's more to it, but still some limitations in the form of what I can bring to the table outside of just tactical know-how. Because I'm not going to be an Eldritch Knight. Now, if you're an Eldritch Knight, you have access to spells, but I'm not going to be an Eldritch Knight, so it comes down to just pure placement. Like, where can I place myself to be useful? So, since we're doing a lot of homebrew stuff, I decided to give myself a chance to have more utility that I'm working with the GM. And I dug up that I found a long time ago. I don't know where. I can. I will definitely post it so people can look at it. And any other resources that I have on hand, I will definitely post. But I found a gunslinger archetype. So now as a fighter, 
I'm going to turn into a gunslinger, and I'm going to be crafting my own guns. Now, because this is D&D, and it's mostly magic and fantasy, this is untapped potential in the game world that my friend Sanchez has made. It's mo- There's mostly magic going on. There's not much in the form of like technological advancements beyond the standard you know, crossbows and siege weapons. So I'm pioneering that as a fighter. I'm still a fighter class. I still have access to you know the additional upgrades to my stats, you know, the ability score improvements, second wind, multiple attacks, stuff like that. However, I am starting to explore what weapons I can make. And with, you know, working with a GM, I'm coming up with a list of different weapons that I'm interested in making. Basic stuff at first, of course. And then more complex stuff later. So I already thought of like, it'd be really cool if I made a gunblade. You know, a short-range pistol that is built into a, a short sword. And when I hit the short sword, I can then fire the pistol at close range and do extra damage. And the GM's like, you know what? I kind of like that. That I can be the first thing we explore as something kind of new. And then from there, I thought of like, you know, as we go on and I develop in character and more know-how of making guns and stuff. Creating mortars for siege attacks. Making a flamethrower. You know, rotary carbines and gallon gun style things. You know, different things that... You know, depending on what the adventure is, I can bring these things. Like, if I know we're going to be kind of out in the open and dealing with a horde of enemies, maybe I start packing that siege mortar and preparing that kind of stuff. And instead of me being that frontline ranged fighter, I'm in the back doing support like that. Or if we're going into a dungeon that we know might be infested, I can bring in that rotary carbine I was thinking about. So now I'm giving myself access to a little more utility beyond just, I am a meat sack, I punch it, you die, move on. Because it it keeps it more engaged for me, personally, and it allows my party and the GM to kind of think of other new ways to operate around that. So instead of the fighter just being there and just point and shoot at it, it's what can the fighter bring to the table? And then, as a GM, what kind of things do I have to create to pose some challenge? Because again, if I'm making, you know, a siege mortar, which I already whipped up some rules for it, I have a siege mortar, which... Being a mortar can go over cover and do AoE damage. So what kind of things can I create for this encounter that'll keep the siege mortar useful but not ridiculously powerful? Like if we if it was just a horde of enemies on an open battlefield, I'm going to just rip them apart because I'm going to stand in the back lobbing these shots. So maybe there's like, you know, flying units that can come in and hit me from up top that I can't really reach or hit with good accuracy because I'm using a mortar. Maybe there's a way that the enemies are starting to use better cover. So, like, they're covering their the tops of them, like, with metal and stuff like that and marching forward. If you ever saw Lord of the Rings, I think it was the first one, where they had the Helm's Deep fight. And the orcs are going to batter down the door on the side. And to get the battering ram up to the door, they put their shields up to keep themselves covered from, ar- from archers. Maybe the GM makes enemies smart like that and they start covering their heads f- to keep themselves from getting hit with artillery fire. You know, things like that add in a little more engagement for me then and allows a GM to be a little more creative with what kind of challenges we face. Because standard, excuse me, standard combat can be great, especially for low levels where it's simply just we both have initiative. We see some we see some monsters. Let's fight them. But coming in with more puzzles into the fight, more intuitive gameplay and more things that make us think as players how to fight, and then the GM has created more tools for him or herself to use in combat, so like tactics, tools, stuff like that, so it's not just a goblin punching us. I got this, uh, I bought a rule book, Volo's, what was it, Volo's Guide to Monsters, I think, 
and they came up with new types of different monsters. So they have a cobalt, uh, what was it called? A cobalt tinkerer or something like that, where they have eight different tools they can use in combat once per day. So like lightning spears, bags of insects, stuff like that, to kind of give the cobalt more depth and a little more tactics in combat. Because like, I can poison you, I can stun you, I can summon monsters now. It's really cool. So now me developing this gunslinger thing and keep up with new ways to develop new tools and new weapons allows a GM to develop new challenges based around that to keep both the party and himself invested in whatever it is that's going on. And combat is all well and good. So that's just looking at some basic ideas of how to develop the combat around these new rules. But what about out of combat? I mean, I've GM'd many things before, and when I was younger, I played a number of different games, and there's... You know, there's nothing wrong with that mercenary fighter who says, yeah, I'm just the meat sack. I'm the meathead that goes in, kills things, and leaves. Some people like playing that, and it's totally fine. It works as it's great to have a DPS-heavy warrior or a tank-focused warrior that's able to just show up to combat and keep things under control. Out of combat, though, they don't do much because, like, look, I've invested everything this character has into martial abilities and combat so when it comes to role-playing i'm just kind of here i'm just the muscle if you need me i'm there but i'm not going to be role-playing much in this campaign though it's the complete opposite going back to these people i have and the party i'm with and how we get into all this bullshit and why it took so long for us to get to the first dungeon there was a null attack on the city that we just got to now the guy from the previous group was already there and suffered through the null attack the other three of us showed up after the attack and we're kind of dealing like with the aftermath and we're there for you know our own individual reasons which we can share whenever we want to in game doesn't matter so the one guy is a chef that i mentioned uh the chef is a bit psychotic in terms of uh well first he got some inspiration from gordon ramsay so he's a very sadistic chef also he has a cookbook that he has spent i think he said like 40 or something years in game writing and that book is his life. He actually, in the dungeon, almost lost all of his gear because he was, almost dropped his book into a river. And he let go of everything just to save the book. So that is his whole thing. He's this guy that's like, this book is my life. This book is everything. And I am a cook. And I make food and you will love it. And that's his whole shindig. The ranger, an elf, seems like a pretty level-headed, decent guy, is addicted to drugs. He... He created this whole thing. He worked with the GM to create this whole idea of being addicted to drugs and stuff like that. And that's now his little cork that kind of gets in the way. He tries to keep, like, the party even with each other. Not even uh, compliant with each other because I almost killed the sorcerer when we first met uh, for reasons we'll get to later. So he's always trying to, like, hey, let's work this out. Let's stay chill. You know, I'm just trying to live. Like, he tries to stay, like, level-headed through everything. But, yeah, he does have a drug addiction. So, you know, when we get arrested and the guards find the drugs on him, you know, they that's another problem. And they're trying to deal with it. And guards are going after him for it. So he's not very helpful at times. Role-play-wise, role especially with the authorities. And then the sorcerer is just a fucking lunatic. Like... We get to the docks, and we're trying to get this boat, and when the guards approach us, the first thing out of the sorcerer's mouth to the rest of us is like, okay, guys, I'm going to set the docks on fire. 
That was his first thought. It wasn't, can we negotiate with the guards? Can we keep things from escalating? Something like that. His first thought was, yo, the doc's made out of wood. I can burn it. What? Like, that, that, and then, this is also partially my fault. Like, we kind of, like, collaborated on this, and there was this island that I needed to get to to find this dome. So, I'm like, I'm taking this goddamn boat, and the guards showed up, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm taking this fucking boat. I wasn't helping the situation. Yet, when I realized that things were escalating, and we shouldn't be fighting these guys, and they were trying to take us under arrest, I, I was complacent. I'm like, okay, fine. We'll go talk. We'll settle things out because we can't. It turns out we couldn't get to the island yet because of magical magic reasons. And the guards were like, yo, you can't go there because of magical magic reasons. Let's tell you what it is. I'm like, okay, okay, fine, fine. Let's go talk. Uh, and then because the sorcerer was a halfling, one of the guards I do put his hand on her head to start walking her forward. And her first thought was like, oh, fine. He's going to do this to me. I'm going to steal from him. Rolls shit side of hand. The guard notices the halfling trying to steal from him. Stabs the bitch so she gets, like, doesn't... She was already low on health because I shot her earlier because of another reason. So she just gets knocked out right away. And then, of course, the guards get pissed off. And I'm like, god damn it. I'm like, god damn it. Fine. You know, like, the captain's with me. And he starts to arrest me. I'm like, look, don't dirty my clothes. Fine. Whatever. Just walk me where we gotta go. And so when we were arrested... Because the cook is such a psycho over his book, and he's like, as long as I have my book, I don't care what happens. The sorcerer was knocked unconscious, which is probably a good thing, because he pro- she probably would have burned the fucking place down, either by accident or on purpose. And then the ranger was a bit high at the moment, and since the, since the guards confiscated everything, they found his stash, and they're like, yeah, this is not a good guy. This is, this is a narcotic guy, and it turns out, I did not know this until after the fact... He gave drugs to some teenagers. So they weren't happy with him anyway. So three guys are now out, and the guards won't talk to them. So I'm like, look, I'm a fighter, so I have nothing to give when it comes to role-playing. Yet, because I want my character to have a little more depth than just being a fighter, I'm a scientist, which is why I'm investing in guns. And on the other hand, I decided to put myself and have a high charisma for one reason, one reason only. To hit on every woman I meet in game. So I, I invested a high score in charisma simply for flirting. And then I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know what? I have a high charisma. I have a high wisdom. I am role playing as kind of a sophisticated scientist. I was the captain, I'm like, look, let's sort something out. And I convinced him to let me have a moment with him, and we talked one on one, and we actually were able to sort things out to the fact that. No, they won't behead us. No, they won't arrest us. They will simply say, you want to deal with some problems, and those problems are giving us problems, so we're going to make an agreement, like, you go take care of that problem, and then you leave. So this is making it a lot more enjoyable for me. Because I am a fighter, and in combat, I simply just shoot things, I have decided to develop myself more as a roleplay person, even though I'm a fighter. So yeah, I won't get all the awesome stuff like the bards get, and I won't get spells that allow me to use spells like friendship and stuff like that to kind of like calm the nerves of the public. I'm just going to leave it to roles and good role playing. And the GM knows that. And so we're, we're setting up these events. He, he kind of accidentally, because he did not intend us on getting arrested at all. That was just us, all four of us kind of being idiots at the same time. And then certain people escalating certain things in their own ways. He was able to kind of set up the situation after being arrested off the top of his head with improv and role play with me to reach his agreement so we can still move forward with the campaign 
and I really enjoyed it. It was kind of really fun for me to live up with this to this character of I am knowledgeable, I am scientific, and I am very literal with my intentions. So when I talked to the captain, I wasn't lying at all. And he was like, you know, the captain's saying, what the hell are we going to do? And I was like, hey, man, look, I can tell you right now, two of those guys might randomly, spontaneously combust. Because I saw, when I first met them, I saw the sorcerer use burning hands. And I saw the cook just suddenly summon great radiant celestial fire from his fingertips to make food in the middle of this, you know, overrun, destroyed city. So I told him, I'm like, you don't want to keep them here, I'm pretty sure. Because this building might just burn down by accident. I don't think you like that. And with that, I have reason to go to that island. And if you're telling me I can't get to that island yet until I find that druid, I'll go find that druid so that I can go to that island and take care of what I want to take care of. And in the process of doing that, I'll probably take care of your null problem too so they'll stop attacking you. And once that's done, I leave. I don't want to be here anymore. And since these three idiots, and I was referencing my party, I'm like, since these three idiots have seemed to have started following me, because when I first went to the docks to get a boat to hunt down this gnome I'm looking for, the three of them just followed me. I didn't tell them what I was looking for. They just decided to follow me. Like, they'll probably follow me when I leave this city, and I'll be stuck with them, and you won't. How does that sound? We reached an agreement. Loved it. I, I loved that whole entire thing. So now in the dungeon... It's turned down to being just, I'm just on guard at all times. I have a very high perception. I have a high wisdom, and I have a high perception. So whenever the other three are doing, because we're in this magically enchanted evil forest, when the other three are doing whatever it is with magic, because I'm a, a man of science, so I don't understand magic, and they're doing like, oh, let's try this, let's do that, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, I, I tell you, I'm like, I got my crossbow out. I see a nice little clearing there I can stand in. I'm keeping watch of everything, and I see everything, and that's what I've been doing. We've yet to get jumped. You know, there's nothing there. Like, we've always gotten the jump on the monsters first. We've never been jumped, but I'm just saying, like, hey, since I have very little to do here because I don't know nature and I don't know magic, I'm going to leave it to the ranger and the spellcasters who might understand what's going on here to figure things out, and I'm just going to make sure they don't get jumped suddenly while doing it. Is it very engaging? No. But I'm fine with that because it there's a balance now. When we were in town, I was kind of taking over as not the leader, but the voice of reason. Because the other three had some random shit going on that they weren't being very rational or reasonable or the guards didn't want to talk to them because reasons. I was the only one that was able to approach them and work something out. So now that we're in the dungeon, and since one since the one guy, the guy playing the ranger, is brand new to d and I'm like... As a person, I'm like, I want him to shine. So now in this force, I'm always like, well, Ranger Man, what do you think? Like, I see some tracks or I see this. I'm like, what do you think we should do? Like, you lead the way because you know what you're doing here in the woods. And I'm just going to shoot shit when it shows up. And it's worked out. And as we level up, as we go further down, I start to develop weaponry. I can then combine that with them. Like, okay, what skill? Like, what skills can I work with you to give covering fire, to do this, to do that, or to develop this weapon, yeah, da, 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 da. and get all this fun stuff going on, you know? The moral of the story here... Well, actually, wait. Before I get to the moral of the story, I skipped something. I kept referencing how I shot the sorcerer. About that. When we first met, and we're in kind of like the charred remains of a city that's, you know, been attacked by gnolls, and I was looking around scavenging for supplies and trying to find you know, any leads on this gnome I'm looking for who was there, there is a random sudden cactus in the middle of everything. 
and the GM made it very clear. It's like, yeah, this is supposed to be like, you know, in a city that was under attack and there's ash everywhere and things were burning and, you know, it's one of those cities. It's kind of like in not temperate, but, you know, like your standard little fantasy city that's like on the plains and the woods, stuff like that. And this is a cactus just in the middle there. I'm like, I poke it with my crossbow. Boop! Halfling sorcerer appears. Apparently, somehow, the sorcerer turned into a cactus. And then, following that, I'm like, okay, I guess. Uh, well, enjoy your day. And I went to leave. And as I was walking away, for some reason, the sorcerer was like, oh, I'm going to cast Chill Touch on him. And the team's like, you want to do that? He's like, yeah, I'm going to cast Chill Touch and... You know, for I can't remember what his rationale was. I think he was just doing it to do it. Oh no, his rationale was he wasn't happy that I turned him back into a halfling because he was enjoying being a cactus since he was upset. So he's like, "I'm gonna cast Chill Touch on him." So he cast Chill Touch, hits me for two points of damage. So I have 16 health butts at the level two. I turn around, I'm like, "I shoot him." They're like, "Why?" I'm like, "He wants to fuck with me. I got touched by something magical. I don't appreciate that being a man of science." So I shoot the bitch. He has 12 health. I shoot him. He's down to 11 health. That is how we first introduced each other. I almost killed the goddamn sorcerer. And then the ranger gets up in between. He's like, uh, guys, let's chill for a moment. A lot of shit's going down. And while he's trying to reason between the two of us, and I'm all like, look, I shot him. He's on the floor bleeding. He cannot mess with me anymore. I'm out. Like, I don't care anymore. He's not a threat to me anymore. And then the, the halfling's like, yeah, that's not much I can do. I am bleeding right now. So we're, you know. Ranger's trying to handle all this, and the cook, like I said, being psychotic, he's like, I'm just going to cook food. So, yeah, this is our whole first interaction with each other. So, the other three are trying to handle this chaotic scene that happened accidentally, and me, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just, I got something to do, and I'm going to go do it, and I want to drive the narrative forward because I'm on a goddamn mission. I don't know what their mission is, so I'm not going to worry about it. I got a mission, and they're just, they happen to follow my lead randomly and as the game goes on we'll develop more but yeah so that's kind of how everything happened you know i shot the sorcerer so then when the sorcerer got hit by a guard he just got knocked out instantly and things just went totally south real fast and we're able to recover from it and now when it comes to combat you know it's it's tilted even though i'm a fighter it's been tilted back to the other side of the party and they're having their time to shine so moral of the story now that i can get to that moral of the story is like when you're playing a character like a fighter, and this really only applies, I feel, to fighters and barbarians for the most part, because I feel like the other classes, you know, Monk included, have some utility stuff that allows them to do various things for exploring to help the party's chance at exploring, or role-playing when they're in a town with other people. Whether these abilities be magical or innate, it doesn't matter. These all the other classes kind of have that way to work through various things. A barbarian and a fighter pretty much get specced for, I'm a tank, I'm a punch things, they're going to die. You know, that's really their whole gist. Fighter's more of a martial master and can get those maneuvers, because in 5th edition D&D they did give the champion archetype, battle master, sorry, not champion, battle master archetype, which has maneuvers, yet those maneuvers are still focused on just I'm controlling the field and I'm hindering the opponent. And barbarians, well, they're barbarians. They have their rage. They take reduced damage while raging, and they just deal more damage while raging. It's all about just taking care of the enemy as quickly as possible. 
if you're role, if you're playing one of these characters and you want to just be that guy that runs in there and just deals the damage, okay, think about what kind of things you can do to improve that. You know, if the GM is very open to homebrew rules and ideas, whether you find it online or you kind of like come up with it on your own, explore that kind of stuff. That way in combat, you have a little more fun and I guess a little more agency in what's going on. That is not just I run it by punch, I run it by punch. It's I can do things while punching. I can control the feel a little bit more. And if you don't want to just be that meathead punching people, maybe you do invest a little bit in charisma or wisdom or intelligence. Maybe you look at some non-combat you know, slash exploratory type skills. So you know, maybe you look into medicine and nature as a fighter slash barbarian instead of just perception athletics, acrobatics, you know, things that'll help you in combat to, like, grapple people, hold them down, spot people moving. Maybe it's like, you know, if you invest in medicine and religion, okay, yeah, I'm a fighter, but I have a background of scavenging, or, you know, I was once a paladin that broke oath, or, you know, oh, I was a paladin in training, but never took my oath, so now I'm a fighter instead. Yeah, I still have that religious background, so when I'm in town, I'm kind of drawn to those churches, I'm drawn to those around me that have the same faith, and I use that to fuel myself in combat. It gives your character a little more depth. I think it gives you as a player a little more to work with. And on the GM end, let's say you're a GM and you have a party with a fighter slash barbarian, or maybe both. Maybe it's a very damage-heavy party. Think about that. Think about what kind of combats can you invest, invest in that give the players more to work with and make the players think a little more. So, yeah, okay, maybe you have this fighter. You know, let's use Barbarian instead. I want to use Barbarian right now. Let's say you have this Barbarian. So Barbarians, you know, if they, go, if they go with no armor, they get additional armor class based on other abilities, and they have it where they can reduce their damage through raging, stuff like that. So maybe you have this Barbarian. Let's say you have a dungeon where you, you know, it's this very large room, like a great hall maybe, and there's a bunch of, you know, Metalheads coming out, you know, guys in full plate or whatever. It's just these orcs, you know, orcs coming out in half plate or full plate, swords and shields and everything. So Barbarian's like, fuck it. I'm going to just run in there and murder all them. And so they run in. And as they run in, that's suddenly when you notice, oh, look, the leader of the orcs, who happens to be a wizard, is on a balcony up there. And there's no cover in the main area of this great hall. Like, there's pillars and stuff you know, along the sides, but in the middle there with our barbarian just charged, there's nothing for him. And now the wizard can just be like, well, ideal acid damage, and you only have resistance to, you know, slashing, piercing, and bludgeoning. Boop! I'm just going to keep hitting you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, now you're engaged with my minions. Fuck you, you're, you know, you're screwed. You know, this allows the barbarian to still utilize himself as a meathead character, deal a lot of damage, but instead of charging outright, maybe they're trying to use the sides for cover and trying to draw the attention of the, the orc soldiers to the side to give the ranger and the archer, you know, the ranger and the sorcerer some cover from melee people to deal with that orc wizard up top. Or maybe he specs himself to say, yeah, I can just take a lot of damage, so I'm going to charge out there and just draw the attention of everyone so the rest of my party can, you know, find the stairs and sneak up behind the wizard and take him out. You know, in doing that, it's something very simple, yet it adds a little more depth to just that meathead character. So you're not just constantly th throwing people at them. 
to distract them. Like the worst thing to do is when you have a meathead style character is just keep throwing people at them, you know, with no intuitiveness in how you're designing the rooms. I think, I feel, I feel like you need to give something in the room that allows that meathead character to kind of build off of it. So they do more than just the same thing, every combat. And then at least for the rest of people in the party, they're not always just having to deal with the same thing of like, okay, the barbarian Chuck just ran in again to go punch somebody. What are we going to do about this? They now have something to do. They have some agency. It's like, okay, because the meathead just ran in and that was up on the balcony, how are we going to deal with him? Like he can do, you know, meathead Chuck can deal with all those orcs in full plate. That is what he's all about. What are we going to do about that wizard? What can we do to help him out to keep him protected? Now we're developing this very simple martial character into something more that adds to what everyone else is doing. Think about it. You know, you can also apply this to sorcerers and wizards who have very powerful spells. You know, fireball is one of the most powerful spells in the game. Maybe you start investing in creatures and creating monsters that have a way to dampen or negate that magic. Okay, now the sorcerers think maybe there's a way to negate damage or just and completely ignore spell damage altogether until the wizard or sorcerer finds some other item in the room or solves some puzzle. You know, there's something else going on the in the room in the combat that that wizard or sorcerer can do to still assist or to break through that anti-magic field. I know, like, you know, Beholders and Death Tyrants are pretty big on anti-magic fields. So maybe you have something like that where, you know, this monster is able to just shut down any magic this wizard would cast. And instead of them now being completely useless, there's something else going on in the room. Like maybe there's traps they can work with and activate. Or maybe there's something that they can do that would negate that anti-magic field and allow them to cast magic again. So for those first few rounds of combat, yeah, the wizard doesn't do any damage. Because they're setting up the room, they're setting up the encounter in their favor. These are all ways that we can develop a character further in combat that gives them a little more agency, that gives them a little more to do with their abilities than usual. I mean, negating a character's ability makes them think about, what can I do now? I mean, in the campaign I'm running, I know I, last week I mentioned the uh, the rogue got possessed by a demon, I didn't give a lot of details on that. Well, he became... He made a blood pack, not really possession, though this queen's in his head. He made this blood pack so that we had access to magic. And so their most recent extravaganza into the unknown, he was actually doing something for this demon because the demon's like, hey, time to pay up. I saved someone's life on because you asked me to and you've been abusing my magic. Time to pay up and take care of something for me. And the second they got to this temple that he was sent to... He's all like, all right, I'm going to cast, you know, Frostbolt, because that's like one of his main, that's a cantrip he has that he uses like for range. He's like, I'm going to cast it. I'm like, okay, roll for damage. He's like, he rolls. He's like, yo, I got a, you know, I got a 22 to hit. I'm like, cool. Nothing happens. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, no magic came out. And then I role played it. Like, you hear some giggling on your head. And, you know, the queen talks to you. She's like, no, no, I want you to be a rogue right now. Forget you have my powers. I'm not letting you use them. Go back to your roots. Now I'm making this rogue think about, okay, what can I do now? Because it's no longer just about ranged combat and just hit and run tactics. Like, okay, what do I have to do now to be useful to the party and to place myself in ways that I get my sneak attack? And then they ended up having to fight an army of skeletons and luckily had a cleric with them that just used a spell that said, hey, if anything enters this range, it takes 3d6 radiant damage. I'm like, okay, these skeletons get one shot by here if they enter the range and fail to save. 
And now he's like, okay, my entire job now is to stick with her. If a skeleton gets near her, oh, look, I have flanking bonus. Shank. I can kill him instantly. Now he was thinking less about just pewing at long range and, you know, going back to his roots as a rogue. He was annoyed at first. And he's like, shit, what, you know, he was, he's the kind of guy, he's like, he overthinks things. He's like, shit, what do I do now? I don't have my magic. I'm like, what can you do in this situation? And then outside of combat, you know, with all these different things we've been talking about, yeah, think about ways like, what are some stats that your players are high in? Or what's some things that they're proficient in? You know, that fighter is proficient in religion. Maybe, yeah, you have some religious figures kind of dotted around each element that have some useful information. Because then the fighter can utilize something outside of combat. Even though he's just great at punching things, since he's drawn to a temple, yeah, let's let's work something into the story. I, I feel like that's common sense. I still want to say it. Maybe there's someone important there that they can work with. And me personally, with the this fighter slash gunslinger I'm investing in, because I hit on every woman imaginable, I don't know if this is my GM's original intention, but the first major NPC we had to talk to to find this druid to you know help us get to this island was a female, and I immediately started start hitting on her, and because I did that, I don't know if it was a direct connection because I did that, but you know after I did that, I started flirting with her, and I actually was succeeding in doing so, you know. When uh, word got out that we were arrested, she came to speak to us, and she was all like, oh, my gosh, what happened? You were so nice. She was telling the guards, like, these were such nice people. They were so caring, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, she was also pointing at me and the ranger when she was saying that. I'm like, eh. (laughs) Yeah, I'm using the way my player interacts, using that as a way to just dig into the story. Like, it's just kind of something silly. I just, I flirt with everyone I find attractive. Yet, there is a way we can use that for the story. And I'm pretty sure right now my friend is planning what kind of shit can we get the party into because the fighters are going to be too busy flirting with everybody. It's fun. It, it works for both sides. So again, moral of the story, getting back to it, moral of the story. If you're a player playing a meathead-style character, what kind of stuff can you come up with to make combat a little more engaging and a little more interesting? And what kind of things can you invest in outside of combat to maybe give your character a little more depth if you so choose? And as a GM, do the same thing. Think about what kind of encounters can you set up in a dungeon that'll make the party think a little bit more. Maybe think a little bit more about what the barbarian will do or make the barbarian think, okay, what kind of different tactics can I use to get around this combat and come out on top? And then outside of combat, it's like, okay, what kind of things has the barbarian slash fighter invested in that we can use to maybe give them a chance to roleplay if they wanted to? You know, that'll do it for this episode. Just, just think about it, you know, thinking about that kind of stuff. And now going forward, you know, I've been using the same outro the entire time, just making it easiest copy and pasting the voice lines. But, you know, screw that. I think we're just going to do custom outros all the time now. We'll, we'll keep the same intro because I like it. I think it's just simple. We'll do a different outro every time. We'll just, you know, talk about what's going on, updates, things like that. Uh, so nothing new really to talk about, but just saying, hey, if you're listening on YouTube, obviously you can comment, you can subscribe, all that, you know, the typical stuff you hear the YouTubers talking about. Feel free to do that. You know, I'm really trying to push, since it's only me talking right now, you know, what do people who are listening think? They can easily use the comments for that. And if you're the kind of person I'm listening just on anchors, you know, or whatever else, platforms that you're on to listen to podcasts you can think about it and you know, feel free to hop to youtube to comment on the episodes there because i'm sorry i've i have started putting gaming couch in the title of everything first to kind of help with the search 
So if you do that, you should be able to find it. And I believe I still have my YouTube channel linked on Anchor, so you can follow through that. And then, you know, my email is always there. So both people listening on YouTube or any other platform, it's still gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com. You know, feel free to shoot me a message through there. Also, if you have ideas, links you want to share, stuff like that, you know, I check it all the time when I'm uploading, and I check it throughout the week randomly to see if anything new pops up. So that'll do it. Take care, everyone. Next week, well, I'll probably have even more crazy shit to talk about with D&D Adventures. Take care.